Welcome to Anything But Routine. Before we start the podcast, we want to tell you about the Just For Kicks Coaches and Studio Owners Conference. This conference is designed for coaches and studio owners to learn from industry experts. You can network with other coaches and much more. This conference is hosted by Cindy Clow herself. If you want more info, please email us at support at justforkicks.com. Now to the podcast. Cindy Clow, and I have Coach Brainerd. I'm starting my 41st year. And I'm Leslie Swiggum, and I coach at Wyzetta, and I'm starting my 43rd year coaching. And between the two of us, we have a pretty significant history in the state of Minnesota in terms of moving dance team from really pretty much nothing to now at the Target Center. And um, it was young women, we were young at one point, volunteering our time, putting our necks out, and risking a whole lot to make it what it is today. Right, a lot of risks. I think we were so young that we had no idea what we were taking on and the liability that we were taking on. Right. Because at the time, I don't think we even thought of liability insurance or anything such as that. We were smart enough to form an association, and we had an attorney draw all of that up. And one of our board members, her name was Georgia Amdahl, her husband was an attorney and he wrote up our articles of incorporation or mm -hmm. all of the significant legal things we needed to do. But just to step back a, a little bit, I think the first competition that was ever held was in 1976 at Anoka High School. It could There could have been one in 75, we're not quite sure. Yeah. But we know there was one in 76, and um, it was run by Marilee Gustafson, who was the coach at that time at Anoka. And back then, if you won state, you ran state. And so uh, that that's it was like, yay, yay, we won, but no, no way. Now we have to run the state competition. And I went to that state competition because, and I was a senior that year at Brainerd High School, and my AD asked if I if a teacher would take us down, and her name was Clean Carter, and she took us to watch that. And I watched my first state competition at Anoka High School, and I fell in love. I mean, I, I had not seen a dance team, and that was the first time. And they asked about eight kids from our school because they were wanting to get one going. So they brought kids from different factions, and at the time I was a twirler. There was a person that was on the, the drill teamy palm squad, and there was a person that danced ballet. So they brought some different people to try to get the interest going. So that was my first experience that I watched it back in 76. Mm -hmm. And then after that, I think it went to Richfield for a year. And we're thinking um, the next year it went to Osseo Junior High. Mm -hmm. And then um, the next year you ran it, right? Right, because we won our first state tournament in 1978. And then, like Cindy said, when you won, you were in charge of it the next year. So it was kind of a mixed bag, yay, joy, but oh my. And so uh, the next year, because it had grown significantly, even in just those couple of years, um, we had um, a double-A division at Wysetta High School and a single-A division at Annandale High School. We split it up, and then the finals were all at Wysetta High School, and the gym was just packed. And that year in 79, when we hosted it at Wysetta, we didn't win, and I was, I was kind of joyful about that because it was so much work. Because remember, this is all before email, 
It was before cell phones. Uh, everything, all communication had to be done by mail. And so there wasn't a quick turnaround on information. You weren't ever sure exactly how to contact people because we weren't part of the high school league, so there was no easy way to access even who the coaches were at the different state tournaments, or excuse me, at the different high schools. So it was, it was kind of crazy what we did. And um, there were some different invitationals that we could attend as well. And um, for those that weren't around back then, when you went to an invitational, there was no, there were no trained judges. So you, you would bring your team and you would judge all the other teams except your own that day. So to try to get your kids organized, but you're judging everybody mm -hmm. else, really having no idea what you were doing. And then every time you went somewhere, whoever was hosting it, they developed their own score sheet. So you never knew what the score sheet was gonna look like. You didn't know who was going to judge you because it was all random coaches. So it was it was kind of it was something. You just didn't know. And I think today people have no idea the evolution of what has occurred and and she's right with the judging sheet. I remember sitting up judging and not knowing what my kids were doing. Mm -hmm. my team and at the time we didn't have assistance very much either no it was, it was just, just one us. coach because they have they would hardly ever pay for anything my salary the first year was two hundred dollars mine was 250 in oh, Wow, that, it was yeah. a step up yeah yeah so it was you weren't getting paid and then I remember some of the big things at that time were the St. Paul Winter Carnival competition was big that was really big and then the aquatennial was really big. Uh -huh. So there were, and, and the season, now we have seasons. We have fall season and we have winter season. And people think they're long. And back then there was no season. And my dance season never ends, had a whole different meaning because it uh -huh. never ended. Pretty much, I remember one year the aquatennial was in March. And then right away you start preparing for the next year and you did parades in the summer. We sometimes did three or four parades and then you were expected to dance at the football games. And so it just didn't end. It was a year-round thing. And that salary of $200 covered that whole year. Mm -hmm. So obviously you weren't doing it for the money. But no, no. Um, in Now the year that Minnesota Association of Dance Teams formed, it was just called MAD, MAD in the beginning. Mm -hmm. And that's because we were dance lines at the time. And then it changed to dance team in 95, I, I believe. Think so. mm -hmm. In 95. And... Um, in the beginning, we held a meeting, and it was at Minnetonka High School, so. the first meeting, and it was in, I believe, late August, or yep. yeah, late mm -hmm. August, and it was in 1980, correct? Mm -hmm. Yep. And a group of us got together, and we still have that original letter, and I think it was about 12, maybe less than that. Something like they that. Yeah, 10 people, and I know it was um, Leslie and I, and a group, I can't even remember, Joel Burns, mm -hmm. I can't think who else all was there, um, Sue Patnode, maybe? Yeah, she and might have and been there. A, and a coach from Minnetonka because it was held at Minnetonka, mm -hmm. but we decided to form the Minnesota Association of Dance Teams on one morning on a Saturday. And I remember we went to Perkins afterwards. Yes, we but did. yeah, so it was. And at that time, you one of the things I remember, and I, I was thinking it was because I was up in Brainerd, but she said she felt the same way too. That you never knew what was happening. There was no such thing as long term, long range planning for your season or being organized because you would just get something in the mail and go, oh, um, Fridley's having a competition. I think we're going to go, and, and you would find out about it a month before. Mm -hmm. You couldn't plan ahead because you didn't know who was holding one, and there were very few. There were very fewer you know fewer events to go to mm -hmm. they weren't all the time 
and, and some of the things that have changed, like conference and sections, mm -hmm. and yeah, none of there was none of that. You know, I was thinking yesterday when I was reading the accolades of all our staff, how exciting it is that our kids can now win all conference and win, you know, different awards because back then there was no conference dance mm -hmm. for sure, no. and and no respect. So. Um, <clears throat> Okay, what else should we talk about? Um, and, I mean, to look at the growth, I mean, you know, to think we started with hosting things in high schools, and then we needed to move to college campuses. So after the competition in um, 79 at Wyzetta, in 1980, it was hosted at um, St. Olaf College. We stayed there a couple of years, and then that wasn't big enough, and then we moved to St. Cloud State, and were there for a few years, and then it moved to what was what's now the Minneapolis Convention Center. It's been remodeled now, but they used to have a basketball floor they could lay down, and then we did it was some... called the Minneapolis Auditorium yeah. at the mm -hmm. time, right? Yeah. And then we moved to St. Paul when it was the St. Paul Civic Center, which is now the Excel Center, and we've done things at Williams Arena, and it kind of bounced around. Oh, yeah, around. State was at Williams Arena for a yeah, while. Yeah, for a while. And the mm -hmm. high school league did not plan any of those. We were not part of them. Um, Title IX was just beginning at this point, so women's sports were starting. And uh, those of us that were part of the board, Cindy served for a really long time on the board. I don't know how many years. 12, 12 years. You know, and I've served 34. And at the beginning, we thought, well, we need to get with the State High School League, and, and but they didn't want to even hear about us because they considered us kind of fluff, not a sport. And so uh, we asked early on, and they said, no, we don't have time for that. So we did it all ourselves. So we were renting out the Minneapolis Convention Center, Minneapolis Auditorium. We were renting out the St. Paul Civic Center. You know, and this is a group of, at that point, there were 12 people on the board. And we and, were running this big tournament. Yeah, and plus all, coaching. Plus coaching. Yeah. I can remember one year, I was in charge of um, judges and their food, and we didn't have a big budget. So I remember hauling coolers with their beverages and everything because we didn't want to pay the cost at whatever arena we were in. Mm -hmm. and, and coaching, too, and having to haul the food and yeah. the extra snacks because we didn't want to pay the money for the... You know, I mean, it was just so different. It's yeah. just hard yeah. to even. We hired think our about own it. security people to run security for the whole thing. We'd have um, a police escort to bring because we had all the cash that came in, and so we'd have a police escort escort the treasure out at night with the cash, and then uh, they'd bring it home and then deposit it on Monday morning. Um, <clears throat> I can remember when I was coaching, and this was more with the Williams Arena kind of time when it got really much, much bigger than it had originally, and I was coaching. And I was president of the association, so I had on a headset connected to all my board members who were doing all kinds of jobs plus coaching. And then I was head of security, and I had to be contacted, uh, connected with the security people. So I had two headsets on with two microphones, and I would hear things from the board members. We got this issue, we got that issue, and then the security people, we got that. So I'm connecting with two different people plus coaching my kids. Yeah. <laughs> so my kids knew that if Swig was looking up that means somebody was talking to her and you couldn't talk to her at that point because she's doing other stuff. And as soon as my eyes became level, then they knew to interact with me. So it was a real challenge, not only for those of us doing this amazing job of running this whole thing, but for our kids too. I mean, for them to understand that we've got this whole other thing going on and we pulled it all together. It's pretty amazing. Um, yeah. I'm thinking too that we always took a lot of heat that if our teams did win, 
it was because we were on the board right. and we were running the state competition. Yeah. And we would hear, we'd get a lot of negative feedback through the grapevine that, oh yeah, of course, why is that a one? Leslie's on the board and, you know, yeah. and or Cindy's on the, the board and she knows and, the judges. Yeah. She brings them their food, you know. Yeah. <laughs> we were running around like crazy so, people and we would plan, I mean, think of the number of meetings that the board oh. used to have all day Saturday meetings because we did everything. And uh, but it was fun. It was so much fun. And those people that we that I worked on the board with, well, all 34 years now, I've just retired from being on the board, have become just wonderful friends. And us old timers, I mean, we're still good friends, and we we've been through a lot together. And it's it's an, been an amazing journey to sit at the Target Center now, and look at what it is. And it's because there were a few brave young women in our 20s yeah. that took the risk and knew that this could be something. We were forward-looking, knew it could be something. And somebody had to step up, somebody had to organize it, we had to train judges, we had to get a score sheet. And um, now looking at what happens at the Target Center is its unbelievable. It is amazing when you think about it, because I think what I was doing the first meetings that first year, I think I was only 22 yeah. or 23. So now I'm going, whoa, that was right. That was amazing. But yeah. And one of our, our memorable, in not a good way, moments was when it was at a state competition in, I think we are at Williams Arena. When the, no, St. Paul Civic Center. I think Center, it was St. Paul Civic When this Center. happened. Yeah. And the announcer, whoever wrote the list for the announcer, and he misannounced who was going to finals. And he, he added one more team. Like, say eight were going to finals. He said nine. I don't remember what it was at the time. But um, then we had to go back and say, oh, sorry, you weren't supposed to be announced. You're not going to finals. Well, the district attorney from, for Hennepin County called us and wanted to shut down the state competition because they were basically, it was accusing us of doing improper, you know, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and if that was the farthest thing from the truth. It was just an error. It was a human error, and nothing did happen. But I remember I had to take that call, and I was quaking in my boots because mm -hmm. I thought they were going to come in and shut down this event and had to talk them through it. And, and he realized he had been called by a parent from that team, yeah. he or she, whoever. it was. I think it was a female that called me. But, yeah, so... We were talked our way out of that one, but that was a scary one. It was so scary. So it did make you realize the risk you were taking on. We actually had to write the original bylaws, and we had to write the judging sheet. So it was creating everything from from mm -hmm. nothing. Right. And I remember at the time, then I did a few things in North Dakota and Wisconsin, and some of the things we did in Wisconsin or in Minnesota spread to those other states because we were far more organized than they were at the time. So what we did here, it just spread out to the other states helping with the organization and I think Minnesota has a unique situation in that um, one thing that's unique about us is that we weren't governed by a business in a lot of the other states businesses took over their state competition and I, I was running just for kicks back then too but I always tried to keep a line between my wore the hat for the board of directors when I was there and the hat for my business separately. Mm -hmm. And we kept it that way where you see a lot of states right now, I think there's only, if I'm correct, 13 states that are not affiliated with um, cheer and dance together. And we are very proud that we've kept dance separate. You will go to some state tournaments and you will see cheerleading on one side of the gym 
and dance on the other, and they only get a half of a court to perform. This is true. It's going on right now in a lot of places because it is owned by a business, and they're trying to, they're affiliated with the state, but it's also run through a business. And then the, you know, you, you don't know that everything's on the up and up and that it's for the best interest of the kids. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what's been really great about Minnesota. So let's talk about State High School League. When, when yeah. the beginning, when we wanted to go in, they didn't want us. Mm -hmm. And then there were three times that they came to us and wanted us to go in. And the first two times, we didn't want to go in because it would have been basically a hostile takeover. I think what happened is they found out we were making money. Our, yeah. our association was making a lot of money. So you can and, talk and about that. And athletic directors kind of pushed it as well because they liked all of their programs to be under one umbrella. So the first time uh, the league approached us and they wanted to take us in as an art form, not as a sport, and we didn't want that. So there was a whole petition through the um, representative assembly with the high school league to bring us in as an art. And I was president of the association at that time, and we didn't want to go in as an art. We do artistic things, but we thought we were more of an athletic sport thing. So um, we did a lot of petitioning of the representative assembly of who was going to vote and that sort of thing. And then I presented in front of all these people all by myself. It was a work day, and I was at a let me off for the work day. And I presented by myself, and we, we didn't go in. And I was so joyful. And it was over in St. Paul, and I was the only one there. And this is before cell phones or anything. And I'm all by myself in St. Paul, and I'm so excited that they didn't take us in at an art. And there was no one to tell. So I'm like <laughs> skipping around in the skyways in St. Paul, just smiling like crazy, and there's no one to tell. Then the second time, they wanted to do it again. They tweaked it a little bit, but still wanted us as an arts activity. We didn't want that. The coaches didn't want that, and the association didn't. So again, I was the president, so I went and talked against it, and it was again defeated, so they, we didn't go in then. Then the league realized um, if we wanted, if they wanted us to be under their umbrella, and athletic directors were pushing for this, they needed to work with us. The first Not two times, yeah. they just did it on their own. So we had a committee, uh, and I served on it. I think I you were there too. Mm -hmm. And um, then it was designed more as a, as a, as a interscholastic sport. And so that third time, we did lobby to go in under the sport thing. It wasn't initially a full-fledged sport because of Title IX issues, which is a whole other ball game. We probably won't get into that this morning. But um, we did go in that third time and then went under the umbrella of the State High School League. And um, their claim was that we would get fabulous media attention. We would get good newspaper coverage in the sports section. There were all of these promises that were made. Um, I think we're still on that journey of getting the, the sports recognition that we need um, and to be treated as a sport. I think it's better. It's way better oh, than it's it way used better. to be. Way better. Way, way better. better. It didn't happen right away. No. I, no, I think we went in and, and during that time, I remember people still being unsure if we wanted to go in. And finally, as a board, we were like, we either, we either pull together and go in or it's going to be like a hostile takeover and we'll yeah. get nothing that we want. Right. So we really, we did all pull together and make a decision. We have to do this, mm -hmm. but we have to do it how, to try to save some of what we want and the integrity of our sport. And at that time, um, I remember going to a meeting, I bet you were at this too, and it was at the league and it was dance studio owners. Oh yeah. I, basically against dance team coaches and it was very very heated 
and, and it was a lot of people in that boardroom. I bet there were 50 studios because I think they felt if dance team went into the high school league, it would ruin their businesses. Mm -hmm. So we had to come up with a, a proposal or a method that was in the, the original bylaws that would say, okay, you can still dance at your dance studio if you go into the league, but you can't compete during the competitive season. Mm -hmm. I feel that was the kind of the decision that was made. But even at that point, I remember our local studio in Brainerd having a, a, a clipboard with like signatures to try to be against the state high school league. So it was really a hot topic all over the state. Topic. It was very yeah. D yeah. divided, a lot of mm -hmm. friendships and and things. But um, finally it did go in and that, that board, that meetings that we held, I think people have no idea because I remember turning in my mileage voucher and it was over 3,000 miles driven for those meetings. So, you know, at about 240 miles to Minneapolis from where I'm at, or round trip, you know, it, that was a lot of miles driven to mm -hmm. to go meet on these various right. things. <clears throat> there was a lot of work and there were people on both sides of the issue. Uh, once we did go in, other sports, or their rules are by a national federation. Well, Dance Team doesn't have that. So we needed to develop our own rules book for Minnesota Dance Team. And I was on that original committee that sat down at the league office and drafted the rules book. And it's expanded now, but some of the first basic things that I helped write are still in there. And um, a judge helped as well. And um, it was collaborative, working together, trying to make it the best it could be for kids. And um, athletic directors had to approve it, but the rules book then has been expanded on. It was quite thin originally, um, but then it's expanded. And um, yeah, so it's been fun to be, <clears throat> it was fun to be on the ground floor back in the late 70s, early 80s, and still fun to be involved, as we are, still all these years later, in making the best program possible for high school kids. They learn so much more than dance. It's Dance is kind of the added bonus, but they learn so much about, about life and how to manage time and how to be dedicated to something and to work hard. And um, No matter whether your program is real successful competing or not, the kids still get an amazing experience from just being part of it, being part of this whole wonderful world. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, I second that. Something. And I feel Minnesota dance, compared to every other state, is just in a league of its own. I really do feel that way. And our, our college teams as well. And I think mm -hmm. one of the differences is partly like at camp even, our coaches share. They are, we are fierce competitors, but we would tell each other our secrets. And mm -hmm. I think that is what has, that, that feeling ha that we share has been really something that I've been really proud of. And I remember my athletic director early on going, don't tell all your secrets when you're teaching at camp. And I, you know, and maybe that, maybe it's stupid when you do, but I also think that's what makes us mm -hmm. grow. And we all have shared our secrets. And we'll have coaches classes here at camp where people are telling what they do and helping each other, and it's made us all get stronger. And I've had coaches come in from other states to this camp, and they're like, it's not like that in our state. It's not like it. People don't share. So I'm kind of ex I'm proud of that, and I'm proud that, that you lead by example with all the younger coaches. And I feel like that's one of the um, neat things about being in it for the long haul is you see a whole different side of it. At first, it was all about winning. It was all about... Um, 
you just see it from totally a different side. And now I see it more for mentoring and how can I help a younger person stay in the game? And there's so much pressure on coaches from parents, from a, from school districts. And, it, you know, I talk to young coaches that are being eaten alive by the booster clubs or whatever. And I feel like <clears throat> that's one of the neat things about being in it for the long haul is you can go, okay, here's, try this, try that, mm-hmm. do this, and, and give them some strength to have a backbone to stand up and, and stand up and be counted for in their community and not let kids walk all over them because kids need leadership. And like Leslie was saying, the great things about being on dance team are far, they're far greater than winning a trophy. It's all the the things they learn. And it's neat when you're at this point to see all your kids that have gone through your program, your team members, your athletes, and see what they're doing now with their lives and how far they've come. It's just amazing. And I remember I had a, a kid studying at, camp, at college for her finals, um, and it was in a career that, that was quite a difficult, like, um, getting her her doctor, she was becoming a doctor, and, and writing to me going, I used my competition strategies to get through that exam because I, I needed to use that mental edge to help me through the process. And that's neat, you know. Oh, I have that all the time. Yeah, yeah very exactly. neat to hear. So Exactly. And I think of, of um, and I don't know that, I mean, I was a teacher my whole working career as well. And I always thought of the gym as just a different classroom. And I was a biology teacher, so it's very different what I do in the gym than what I did in my classroom. But I think if you look upon your coaching as being a teacher as well, you're teaching all kinds of things and mentoring those kids. And just it's just a different kind of classroom that you're in. And I think that uh, that helps to view it that way. Uh, and then you um, can see the impact on the kids, I think, too, if you view it that way. Okay, so what else did what we you think? I don't know. What, uh... We could do another day, like we could do tomorrow morning of this as well, if you guys want. Oh. If you guys think of something, like we could even just plan on doing it and then. Sure, we can think if there's we can anything think if else. There's anything. I, I mean, there's so many on. things to talk about, yeah. but I think oh, we yeah. hit the, high the major point. historical things, yeah. don't you? Yeah. Um, it's really neat to hear, though. Really, really can neat. Can you tell hear. we're a little passionate about this? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And what I love, so, like, Cindy and you are on such different, like, like you're a teacher, she's a business woman. Like, it's such a yeah. different, it's, yeah, so, it's it such right. a unique. Our lives are very different in terms of what we've done. Yeah. But, yeah, see, I think of her as a teacher as well. Yeah. You know, yeah. Though, I, I am you know, a teacher. Even though you have do the business stuff. Yeah. But uh, The one thing I didn't talk about, um, I feel like I learned so much from being on the board from yes. all of you. Yes. Like, I remember, at, is this still filming? Yeah. Okay. So I feel like I, I grew so much being on that board. I remember when I was young, things would come up that I hadn't even heard of or, sure. or experienced, all of us probably. And I just feel like being with those 12 women from different backgrounds, mm-hmm. everyone added something. And I, I put in a lot of time and a lot of volunteering, but anything you do like that comes back to you because I learned so much. Mm-hmm. Just about everything. I remember the first time being involved with parliamentary procedure because we mm-hmm. felt our meetings weren't effective enough, so we went to that, and I was like, whoa, I had never experienced that. Sure. And, and it was great. And just even writing the articles of incorporation or the handbook or the bylaws, and we had to proof them, and we had to 
you know, go back to the drawing board and, and change them. And then reviewing, score sheets something we should talk a little bit about because I feel like one of the things that happens is somebody will go, I think we need to try this on the score sheet. And we want to go, did that, yeah. 1985, <laughs> been there, done that. Um, it didn't work. And you don't want to be that way. But yeah. I, how many score sheets do you think we've been through? Oh, gosh, I don't <clears throat> know. I, I, I need to, I mean, I, I've kept, since that first, I've been on the board since the very first meeting until I just retired from that. So... Um, as I did that, and of course back in 1980, I didn't know how long I would do any of this. We didn't know what we were doing. Um, I have notebooks with um, every um, correspondence that came out from the association, every agenda, every meeting minutes, every letter we got from somebody else, any thank you note from whatever, and they're all chronological in notebooks. And Probably color-coded. Well, and there's a lot of stuff. And, and they're all... Um, you know, there's a lot of notebooks, and MADT now has a storage room that we rent, storage unit, and they're all in there in chronological order. So you can look back at what was going on in 1984 in the association and then the dance team world of Minnesota, and it's all in there in one place. And again, that was before electronics. There was no you know, computers hardly. I mean, everything oh. we did was typed and whatever. Yeah. But we, you know, so it's all in there. And it would take some effort to go back and find all the score sheets. But I documented everything from that first meeting in 1980 at Minnetonka High School up until my last board meeting. And actually, I'm still going to go to the one this coming August because I'm still serving as treasurer to end up the fiscal year. But um, it's all there. And so, again, when I started, I don't know. I guess I'm just kind of anal about stuff like that. So I thought, somebody better keep track. And it was me. And um, so History all of all score this, sheets. Yeah. I mean, because just, that just even an example that... You know, you remember stuff that personally happened to you, of course. And one year, I believe the year was 1987, we we never used to throw out the high and lows of the right. scores. And that year, I particularly remember this because we had 11 judges have us in first place. And we had one judge give us a three of a score, which nobody got threes back then. So it, it had to be a personal bias or yeah. something. Because, yeah. you know, I remember we had the lowest kick score given in the state that year by that one judge and it kept us out of winning but 11 judges had us winning and and that's just an example of high lows being thrown out that was something sure. that didn't happen back then right and everything that occurred occurs now happened because something went wrong yeah you know like the, the all of the ranking system is for that reason yeah the ranking system is like that and 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 i you know i had judged in another state in in iowa and they they had that same issue where a team got got denied going to finals because one judge goofed up. And, and I remember coming home going, whoa, you know, we, we've got to make sure that we're not mm -hmm. doing that. And a lot of the things like two-sided competitions, um, nobody ever thought of that before. I saw that in Illinois and came back and go, we got to try this. It's just sometimes things that are outside yeah. the box that you don't even think of. And people were very resistant to that. Oh, first. yeah. How is that yeah, going to That's work? never going to oh, work. Oh, no way. But and that's something, actually, that's never going to work. We heard a lot. Yes. And We tried it anyway. <laughs> but sometimes we would try it anyway. Yeah. And I remember things like 
conference meets, my AD was actually, my athletic director was actually way before his time in terms of wanting dance team to be something. And back when I first coached, I had my superintendent, my athletic director, and my principal sitting up in the stands. And that's very unusual. Very unusual. Back in that day. And I feel... Even today, that's Even unusual. today. Well, I had, I feel I had more support back then sometimes than now, but we I needed it, you yeah. know. And, and I have good support, but it, yeah. it hasn't always been that way. No, and many places, many towns don't have that. And I think sometimes um, their backing helped us, you know, me be more proactive knowing that mm-hmm. I had that support. And that's a neat thing yeah. where some programs don't have that. But the journey of how we've been judged is, is just kind of crazy. Like we said, we initially judged each other at meets, which was, whoa, really crazy. Talk about a shot in the dark in terms of what could happen. Um, and then, um, this is not chronological all, but for a while, we had um, I know what you're ju- say. judges assigned certain categories. categories. So there would be a judge that would just judge formations. There would be a judge that would be on the side of the gym and just judge things from the side. The we floor judge. The yeah. floor judge. Yeah. We had a uniform judge. So be- An this inspection. Is, this is when it was just in kick and it was inspection and you get your whole team lined up and they would look at each kid and they'd stand back and make sure all the skirts were at the same level and then you would get a score based on not not the cuteness factor or whatever but that it was all the same. The same. Uniformity. The same. It was yeah. uniformity. And then the floor judge was checking to see if your lines were straight. Mm-hmm. But we had come up with that concept as a board to have, um, you know, okay, one judge judges kicks, one formations, like she was yeah. saying. But the bad thing there was if that person had a not a good opinion, you weren't getting 11 opinions or, right. or whatever. one person. One person. Judge, and we used to have more judges than they have now, Yeah, I feel. Yeah. But probably we needed them. Yeah. Yeah, but I mean, so. that that was kind of crazy. And um, it's certainly when you had a judge standing on the side of the gym, and this was before Jazz was at it, this was only kick. Boy, did you make sure that your lines were straight from the side. You know, I spent a lot of time coaching on the side. I still do. Uh, but, um, yeah, that was a whole other thing that we had to, right. to think but about. But you tried everything to see what would make yeah. it better. We kept trying to improve the process. Sometimes you took a step back. And then had to go, oh, well, great idea, but that didn't work. So it was all just, it evolved. Mm -hmm. It was a process that started from really nowhere, and then it it just kept getting better and better. And our score sheet that we just had revised this year is pretty amazing. Yeah, it looks wonderful. Um, back before we went into the high school league, too, at every competition, the judges would have these little tiny cassette uh, recorders. And as a coach, you would bring a cassette tape for every judge, and then when it was your turn to compete, they would pop the cassette in, and then while you were dancing, they would talk through the dance. This, the girl on third from the end did this, and this looks good, and da 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 And then they would score you, and then you would get back like seven Yeah, you'd get all these tapes, tapes back, a box of With them. your score sheets, and then as a coach, you, the music's in the background, so you know exactly where in the dance they were talking about. Whereas just, if it's just on paper, you're not exactly sure when they saw what, but with the tapes. So great. then we would sit and listen to them and, and, you know, okay, now here's where this judge saw that wasn't so good. This judge really, you know, and so it was awesome to get that kind of feedback. We don't get that anymore. No, I loved that. I did too. I did. It was great. I didn't love running a competition that had it because it was no. so hard to oh, um, keep in track of all that. You had to have all these little 
kind of Walkman recorders, and yeah. they all had to work, and they all had to have batteries, and then you had to have lines of cassette tapes. Yeah, and, in boxes, and, and yeah. Yeah, oh, that was different. But so. it, was, it was effective in terms of giving us good feedback. Something else that we haven't talked about is just the evolution of, of even choreography and and when you mentioned cassette tapes, that's what mm-hmm. made me think of it because when I first started coaching, um, editing music, I think we were one of the first teams to start editing music with the wows and pows in it. Mm-hmm. You the know, sound the, effect the sound effects and the, the edited where you put two songs together. Because seriously, when we first started, if a song was too slow, you couldn't use it. If it was too fast, you couldn't use it. We had no such thing as speed control. Mm-hmm. We were using records. And I can remember performing with a record that skipped. Oh, and me too. Then you had to, okay, girls, take it back. We'll try it again. You'd put a piece of gum with a nickel on it to weigh down the the arm of the, mm-hmm. the, to hold the record it, player. The record player. So if it was scratched, it would work. And I know that sounds crazy. But the first year we did edited music, I had to go to the, in, I live in Brainerd, so of course it was the In Fisherman Radio. And we went there and edited our music and it was on reel to reel and I can remember it going whoa 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 like between where you're trying to find that eight count break and we'd take a sharpie marker and you'd you'd make it on the tape where the eight count break was and they would actually cut it with a blade and then piece those two ends of the music together mm-hmm. that's where cut and paste came from came from mm-hmm. and it really was the truth and I remember one year we had 27 edits and I thought the guy was going to have a heart attack <laughs> because he had to keep doing that where yeah, where now you just yeah. take a computer and you cut it out and you know it takes no time no time at all close. compared to what yeah. we used to have to do and yeah. so just even the changes from being able to YouTube and see things and right. Google music choices I remember having to you know order tons of records and at a great expense because you didn't know if they were going to be good or not. Mm-hmm. You couldn't listen to anything. And there were, just wasn't the access to music or the access to... If you wanted to see great ideas, you had to travel. You had to travel to New York mm-hmm. or you had to travel. And, and I feel like now comparing myself to my daughter the, who's choreographing, the, the knowledge she has access to at her age compared to what I had, there's no comparison. Because oh. you had to exactly. pound the pavement and find it. You had to get yeah. out there and watch. Yeah. You had to travel. It was just a lot different. Yeah. I mean, when I first started coaching, we did dance to records, and I can remember in the gym for half times and stuff, standing around that record player to make sure no you kid don't touch walked, that. walked by and too heavy and skipped it. But at practice, we I used a big old green reel-to-reel yep. tape recorder, which nobody even knows what they I still have those reel-to-reel tapes. I have reel some of the reel reels tapes. I saved them. I don't have a player for No, them, I don't either. But I'm sure school doesn't either. But to think just the evolution of going from that to our iPods that we use now or playing it off the computer and now on the computer you can in a flash just change the speed right. let's see if this speed looks better in this section you can just do it and back then everything was just so hard and you didn't do a lot of that because it, it was, wasn't right it wasn't available you I remember when cassette tapes came up with a dual player oh that was something. and then you if you got good at it you could edit your own tapes by yeah. by pressing pause yep and then just in a second, you had to let it up, yeah. and then you could edit music. And I got pretty good at that. It would, I did, too. Yeah. But it would take, like, 50,000 tries. Yeah, yeah, it, it took you know, so it many tries. It like five-minute operation. You kept ditching them. But yeah. then there, they came up with a cassette player that would stop when there was no sound so that you could find the break between songs. That was a really yep. big deal. Yeah. Because if you had, like, 10 songs on a cassette, 
you couldn't just go to song one, song two. You had to no. right. fast forward it. And, yeah. Oh, you'd waste so much time finding your music. And like, right now I have it written down. In 30 seconds, we're going to start here. You know, right. there was none of that. And then when the speed control cassette players came oh, out, that, that was, was like incredible. heaven. That was like... Yeah, the greatest thing ever. Fabulous. And we thought it was really high tech. So. Yeah, we were we we had it all together then. Yeah. But even just when you look at just the judging, that's amazing. When you look at just the level of choreography now compared to what we did. Right. When you look at the speed of which we do things, it's amazing. When you look at the music changes, how we delivered music, how compared that is now. Any uniform any category you look at yeah um, even costumes like we all yeah. back then you made your costumes i remember we ordered our leotards from sears sure that's where yeah. we ordered our leotards there wasn't all these dance companies and um that was part of the reason we formed our catalog wasn't was it was out of necessity to help people find things and i remember back in the day going where do you get the stuff you need because there was no internet you know and you couldn't no. find so it it it, well, you'd get a catalog in the mail, yeah. and that's where you ordered. But a lot of our parents sold our costumes, yeah, yeah, and too. because you just couldn't afford, you didn't have the money either to go buy it. Right, so right. that was a big change. Um, Boy, we sound old, don't we? <laughs> I know, and I don't feel old, believe <laughs> no, it or either. not. I feel I young. Either. I feel excited still about what I do. The yeah. starting over every year is what I love, oh, and trying best. to do it bigger and better. Yeah. Um, one With of my new kids and yeah new awesome. families yeah. one of my funny stories is I'd been to California and my team had gone to nationals out there which was um, that was another whole that'd be another whole topic but um, I came home with a great move because in Minnesota everybody had only done hands like this or like this they were called we called these park hands at the time they were named after park center because they always did their thumbs and there was blades and there were fists but we saw a really innovative move and it was to do jazz hands and believe it or not we got cheers for doing jazz hands that was considered a big move back in the 80s yeah. early 80s yeah. so so let me get this right you guys had uniform judges at one point and yeah. then you had to hand make your own uniforms yeah right so how, how did you make them consistently the same you know we had one mom make them all oh, okay. yeah one person would make we them would all. measure from the floor I remember doing mm -hmm. this so that our skirts were the same, same from the floor. So no matter how tall a kid was. No, how tall or short that they, you know, your shorties would have skirts like <laughs> that were really short and yeah. your talls would be, long, you know, a so little long. When they all yeah, lined so when they up, all lined it up be. they'd be the same. And you kind of could have a gradual, but yeah. it was it perfect. Was, yeah. And your socks had to be perfect and your tights yeah. or whatever you had, yeah. so... It is unbelievable. It, it, it is when you start to think I remember about it. we were trying, you know, it's just funny because I remember getting home from state and I'd wanted sequins on our state costumes. And this is like in the early 80s. And I remember getting home and they came on, they were on my doorstep when I got home. They hadn't come in time for state. Because, oh. you know, wherever you ordered them from, you couldn't find out. There was just no communication. Right. I don't know. Well, there was no way to like, Where were they? I didn't know. They yeah. never came. And I, I, and they you came. Couldn't track a package. I couldn't track a package. And I remember coming home from state and seeing them on my doorstep. Great. They came now and state's over. Thanks for listening to Anything But Routine. If you like the podcast, subscribe and give us a rating. We'll see you next time. 